Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Whatever indeed. Welcome to Author News Weekly. I'm R.A. McGee. Thanks for joining us on our show. This week, let me jump right in to the awesome panel that we have. Uh, we are joined by Jim Heskett. Hello. We've got Moira Natalie Pippa Warner. Hello. And batting cleanup, Nick Thacker. Always here to bat cleanup. You know <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's why we got you here, brother. That's why we got you here. And since we've got a lot to talk about today, we won't waste any time and we will jump right into the news. Hit it, Nick. There we go. And we will be awesomer at that as we go. So <laughs> I put my no, I put myself firmly on the firing squad, Nick. You are a gem <laughs> of a human and have never done anything wrong to me. So let's start with our first story. Now, I wanted to kind of talk about this. It it's a little bit similar to what we talked about last week, but uh instead of the New York Public Library uh most borrowed books, these are the most purchased as well as most read books of 2020. And there's a few uh, little things that I wanted to kind of note, but one big question that I have for you guys. Uh, So the most purchased books uh, are, you know, pretty topical given the the state of 2021. Uh, We got the book by Mary L. Trump uh, about how my family created the world's most dangerous man. We've got white fragility and we've got, uh, you know, little fires everywhere in American dirt. Uh, now, the most read books, uh, they had to w- take out the Harry Potter books because seven of the top 10 books were Harry Potter books. Oh, they didn't have uh, to. Well, they, they wanted to give uh, other people a chance to shine, I think. Uh, and oddly enough, uh, only about half the most purchased books were also the most read books. I wonder if that says anything. But the thing that I'm most interested in is the top 10 audiobooks. None of them are the most read or the most purchased books. They're, it's a completely separate slate of books. Uh, and I have reasons why I think that is, but I'm wondering what you guys think. Why are people listening to different things than they're reading and purchasing book-wise? Well, if you look at that list, those it's got three Brandon Sanderson books, and I own all three of those books, and each one of them is about 1,000 pages. Mm-hmm. So those audiobooks, those three Brandon Sandian, Sandin, Sanderson audiobooks are 120 hours long, mm-hmm. just the three of them. So that seems. You could great. train for a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems that, that the audio, audiobook listener is definitely, and I think that's probably, probably has something to do with the way that Audible's credit system worked. I think if people had to pay full price for every audiobook, you wouldn't see length be the dominating factor, but you know, if you're a fantasy reader and uh, you're looking for a new fantasy book, do you want the 40-hour Brandon Sanderson book or do you want a 15-hour book by somebody else? It seems like it's just economics at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I would guess that there's also a, a difference between the people that best absorb information via audiobook and the people that best absorb it via um, either a physical book or an ebook. 
because I know the longer a book gets for me, the more I need to go to a physical book so that I can easily flip through different parts of it and reread some and re-go ahead because otherwise I just cannot keep tracking. But other people, it's very different. I feel for me, it's, it has a lot to do with the author. Like Stephen King's books translate perfect to audio. I don't know. It's something about his writing style. Um, maybe, you know, when you're listening to audio, I, I feel like me, I tend to drift off sometimes I'm listening to audio. Maybe if I'm doing the dishes or something or, you know, I drift off and it seems like it doesn't really affect uh, understanding a Stephen King book. But if I'm listening to like a I'm not trying to slam Stephen King, it's just the way he writes. But if I'm listening to like a crime novel or a spy thriller where there's lots of names to remember, I can't make it all the way through a spy thriller audiobook if it's got a big cast. To this day, one of my favorite anecdotes is uh, from someone who was telling a friend of mine, they had decided to try audiobooks and they had never read any of the Sherlock Holmes novels. And so they were going to do that. They had a long road trip coming up and they got the CD. They're listening. They get to the end of the trip and they have no idea what is going on. And they said, I assumed I was not smart enough for this. I was just too old. It was, you know, and as they got in the car to head back, they realized that their CD player was set on shuffle. (laughs) (laughs) how mysterious (laughs) i don't like this experimental fiction (laughs) this plot is just all over the place (laughs) yeah man all right i think um what's interesting about this article um i actually saw this on reddit about a week or two ago and was reading through it and i actually made a comment i I rarely comment on social media because i i don't hate myself Mm. Um, but I made a comment in this, in this case, because the, the, um, the theme of the article, at least the one I read, I think it's the same one that you're, you're referring to, um, was how traditional publishing, um, hardcover paperback books and audio are still far outselling eBooks. Mm. Um, and of course it was, it was written as if there is no such thing as publishing besides going with a traditional publisher. Um, as if it doesn't, indie, indie publishing isn't a thing. It doesn't exist. Uh, just look away, uh, was kind of the attitude. Right. And so I made a comment that was essentially like, okay, here we go again. Um, this is Nielsen reporting this stuff and they do not report indie books because we don't use ISBN numbers for our, um, eBooks for the vast majority of them. And we don't report the same way to Nielsen. They, well, let me put it this way. Nielsen doesn't want to report any of our sales. <laughs> They've made it clear that they don't care about us, right? So when you get these articles that are written, it's talking about the, the most read traditionally published big four or whatever, how many publishers we've got left um, in the United States for the most part. And so it's just completely ignoring the uh, the, the indies like us that are that are pumping out books and you know, I, I bet Mal Cooper's on that list if they include that. I bet Michael Anderley's on that list if they included indies. Um, I bet Joanna Pins on that thriller list. You know what I mean? So there's just some of these um, big name indie authors that we know about that um, that no one else in the real world has ever heard of. And I wish that would change. That's just an aside. That's my rant over, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I do find it fascinating that um, you've got essentially three different ways of, of consuming books, and it's the old traditional way of having paper in your hands. And then um, you've got these newfangled technological ways like audiobooks and uh, and uh, e- ebooks, and they're all sort of different markets now. Although that does actually bring to mind an interesting point. Uh, what you say, Nick, that because a lot of my family are just 
read anything they can get their hands on. And they were some of the original people to encourage me to self-publish and start reading beyond traditional publishing. And so I'm wondering if there is a growing schism that uh, casual readers are continuing to be represented by lists like this. But the more you read, the more you are aware of self-published authors and hybrid authors and things like that. And so these lists are getting less and less representative of what's actually out there. That seems to be what I, I think that's what I'm yeah. getting at. Yeah. You're, that's yeah. a much better way of saying it. Like this, these lists are just not representing um, real readership in America or worldwide, you know, anymore. And and they used to maybe be closer, but yeah. Not, not. Yeah. But uh, certainly to, to underscore what you're saying about you wish more people were aware of us. I, I think a lot of people definitely are. Yeah. So, well, that directly translates into sales for us. So, of course, we want to be aware <laughs> that we exist. Hey, we're out here. We exist. Well, right on. And more sales is always awesome. And that actually kind of leads me right into our next story. Now, uh, every year, wit- Written Word Media, uh, who are the people behind Free Booksy and Bargain Booksy, uh, which are paid promotional sites for your books, uh, they do a voluntary uh, survey where they poll a thousand authors and just kind of look for some commonalities between authors. And then what they do is they kind of group people uh, into levels uh, kind of based on their, uh, their audio, uh, based on their author career. So they kind of group them together in stages. And so um, they've been doing this for probably at least three or four years. Cause I remember reading it about three or four years ago and kind of being interested in seeing uh, the things that other people were doing to kind of help grow their author career. So uh, if you guys are feeling generous, uh, I'm going to kind of go through these stages and go through uh, the author behaviors and see if you're willing to volunteer what applies to you and what doesn't apply to you. If something is uh, something you don't want to talk about, you know, feel free to or whatever. Um, so stage one is authors uh, making between zero and $250 a month. Uh, well, $249 a month. Uh, stage two, they classify as authors making between $250 a month and $999 a month. Okay. Stage three is 1000 to four hundred or to $4,999. Uh, stage four is 5000 to 9999 And stage five is uh, over $10,000 a month. Okay. So uh, just for... Um, transparency. I don't mind volunteering that I'm uh, in the stage three uh, mark. You know, I make between a thousand and four thousand nine hundred ninety nine. Uh, most months I bump up into stage four from time to time if I have a book launch or uh, a good promotion uh, or something like that. So um, just to be honest about my own situation. So um, now we're going to so that's earnings per month. Now, uh, average of books published. Okay. If you're a stage one author, they say you average about six books. Stage two is about 17 books, right? That's a pretty big jump. And then stage three is 29 stage four is 36 and stage five is 42 books. So how many books do you guys think, uh, if you could kind of give oh, me a, a guesstimate on how many books that you guys have done and, and your stage, if you're willing to volunteer that, if not, no worries. Uh, I know money's a touchy subject with people. So. I think I have about 25 books, maybe. Okay. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even have to stop to think about how many different series I have. Mm. Yeah, you've got more than that, I think, because are you including all the co-written stuff as well? 
Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I have somewhere between 20 and 40 books. Do you remember when Phil Williams was interviewing us and he was like, you have 60 books. And I was like, no, I, I don't. I'm like, all right, man, cool. I've got 60 books. Yeah. He did the same thing to me. <laughs> what I think is most interesting about this, uh, um, this article is where it talks about how people, authors who were already making, uh, more money were made more during COVID as opposed to people who had fewer books. So it said, uh, 18% of stage one authors said their sales increased, but 56% of stage five authors said their sales increased. I, I, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but like my hot take is that it probably has a lot to do with people who have a readership, had people to sell books to during COVID. And it was maybe harder to acquire new readers over the last 12 months. And so having a large list and stuff is is how you stay at the top of the game, maybe? It could be. It could be that that large readership was what propelled people up the ranks. And then they were the ones who were there when people went online being like, well, I'm home now. What do I mm -hmm. read? Mm -hmm. um, and so it all kind of catalyzed yeah, right to favor the people that were already up there. Okay. So a lot of books kind of for everyone in general. Uh, I heard the collective groan when I asked how many... And so I think that we can't get to a pinpointed number. So how about we'll try this. Your average hours spent writing per week. How often do you write per week? Would you say? I, personally, I'm about 14 hours a week of fresh words and then, you know, random sporadic times for editing and things like that. So, well, um, yeah, I didn't answer the first question either. I'm, I'm a stage five author, but uh, I want to note strongly note that I'm also um, not ever really in one camp when it comes to income. Um, I, that's, I just, I, I have too many different things that too many irons in the fire, I guess. And mm -hmm. I've never had really just one, one income stream from one source. I would say my books alone are, I'm, I'm a stage four author. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm right around the 5,000 to nine, 9,999 lines. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm usually I'm, I'm usually five figures a month, um, but that's including all the things that I do that aren't necessarily just books. And so that brings me to the second question, uh, which is, you know, I, I I've sort of re because I, I'm full time at this and and I get to kind of make up my own job. Um, I very strongly work only from you know like nine to five, and so there's some hobby things that I do at night or whatever, you know, when the wife is watching TV, but my actual writing time is probably maybe 10 to 15 hours a week. Mm. Now that said, I have also adopted um, dictating as sort of my main method of getting new words in. I would say almost to the tune of 90% of what I write is dictated now. So I'm able to write a lot faster. You know, I have to go back and do some edits and stuff, but I don't consider that writing hours. I would say it's rare that I am able to get more than 15 to 20 actual writing hours per week. And I go in a fairly predictable cycle of spending about that amount of time in the chair and writing for that amount of time. And then it gradually starts to diverge and I will spend more and more time in the chair trying to write and less time actually writing until my days go to about 14 to 16 hours of me running around doing pretty much nothing while trying to get a whole bunch of writing done. And then eventually I bring it back into where I'm 
structuring my time very well, like Nick does, and uh, keeping my days shorter. Oh, I don't do it well. I just try. (laughs) 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 I rarely do anything well. That's why I have to structure my time. So okay. I need to fix it. And I, I've got about 40 hours a week set aside for Jim's bitching so that I can fix it. <laughs> fix. Um, and it's bled into like my normal life too. Like Jim will be like, Hey, you need to re- redo the lawn. You just mowed. That's not, that's not good enough. Like, How did oh. you see me? Dude. How did you see me? He's like, just in your mind, man. He's living rent free in your head. Yeah. yeah I, I spend a good 10 to 15 hours just thinking about Nick and wondering if he's making a blanket ladder. I spent a good amount of time thinking about Nick's blanket ladders. Speaking of diversifying income streams, mm. he's, he's about to reach over and grab a blanket ladder. Is there one nearby? <laughs> yes, yeah, one nearby. Here's a blanket ladder. <laughs> okay. Well, blanket blanket ladders aside. I can answer uh, the question for real, though, Ari, if you want. Yeah, please do. Please do. Um, I it, For me, it completely depends on which project and where I am in the project. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm in first draft mode, I will I will let ta- admin tasks uh, sit and not get done that need to be done sometimes. Because when I'm in first draft, my goal is just to get it done as fast as possible. If I'm in first draft, I might be writing three, four, five hours a day, you know, whenever I can fit it in. Mm-hmm. Because I like to just get it all out of my head. But then once I'm in other drafts, then I'm mixing other projects and... If I if I only get ten hours of actual writing time done during when I'm working on the second draft of a project, that's fine because I I budget time for more time to be spent on admin tasks and podcasting and that kind of stuff. Right on, man. Right on. Well, I think that's good. I think that that's a good uh, a good um, kind of uh, average of of kind of we all are working about the same amount of time to get our books out, and uh, you know I think that there may be a misconception with people. Uh, that write full time or write for a living that, you know, they're writing for 40 hours a week, you know, new words and stuff like that. And I think that that's, that's, you know, for the average person that's writing books, I think that's a little uh, unrealistic. I know there are the outliers that are banging out, you know, 10 hour days where they're putting out new books every week and stuff, which is impressive. But I I don't think the average uh, author is kind of doing that. And uh, according to this, it doesn't look like you have to, to still make a pretty good amount of money. Okay. So uh, I'm not going to ask about job status because, you know, you kind of get wrapped up doing a lot of things when, you, when you're an author, so it's tough to know. Uh, but let's see, editing, I think this is another thing that kind of divides the populace pretty strongly. Um, I fall into step three again. You know, I spend between 250 and 999 uh, to have my editor go through my books. Uh, you know, what are you guys uh, seeing on your end? What do you guys do? I don't have a dedicated editor, so... I have a, a beta team that reads uh, some of them are copy editors, um, but I have been wanting to get an editor. I just don't have one right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't I actually. Go ahead, oh, Nick. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, I love um, editors that are good. They can really take a manuscript and make it sing. Um, but I do not love that that's going to cost probably $3,000 per book to really get something good. Um, so my general strategy is, um, and this is where I think a lot of, uh, a lot of authors will argue with me here and that's fine. <clears throat> do whatever you want to do. It's your career. But, um, I take a lean startup approach, uh, the Eric Reese kind of idea of, of minimum viable product and iterations. And so I look for getting my book to 90% perfect, knowing that it can never be better than 95%. In my opinion, no book is, is perfect, obviously. So 
that 90% is sort of my, my mark. And I will release a book at 90% knowing full well that it's as good as I can do in that moment. But what happens is inevitably, especially if you're indie and you started building a list like I have, um, people will send in fixes and typos and, you know, hopefully you've, you've gone through and gotten all the plot holes and things like that. That's not, if you leave plot holes in the book, I don't think that's 90%. Right. Um, but all the little tiny things, I, I don't waste my time trying to trying to kill all those before a book gets released because you can't. You can't get all of them. So I've got a gauntlet Jim knows about, um, running it through ProWritingAid, through Grammarly. I've got a beta team of 200 readers. A lot of them are copy editors as well, and they're just happy to get a free book. Um, and so by the time I get back, usually 30 or 40 different people send in their changes and edits and all that. Um, the book is pretty dang good after all that. And so I'll give it a, a final read-through. Um, if I'm co-writing, the co-author will give a final read through and that book is 90 or better usually at that point. And I, I'm happy with that because I know that as I go, I'm going to iterate and continue improving that or rewriting sections or whatever the case may be. And that's my story. I am uh, pretty much the same. I will throw in a caveat about using pro writing aid and Grammarly. And the I think that if you want to self-edit, which is a really dirty word, and if you go to any Facebook writers forum and mention self-editing, you will be smacked into submission of with Seems lots of people. Anywhere. A lot of people screaming at you about self-editing. And the thing is, I bet half those people actually self-edit anyway, and they just don't want to admit it. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing about self-editing. Only, only do it if you are excellent at grammar. Because the key to pro writing aid and grammarly is it's a, it's a machine. It's a computer. It's, it's going to make suggestions based on algorithms and heuristics and whatever. And you have to be good enough at grammar to know whether to accept or reject the change. Because if you just, if you don't know anything about grammar and you think, okay, pro writing is going to fix it. I'm just going to accept all these suggestions. You'll get gobbledygook. You have to know when to say yes or no. And so if you are that good with grammar, you can self edit maybe. And also it's, uh, this is, going to drift slightly. So I'll try to uh, not go all the way down this tangent. But there's also a lot to be said for the fact that pretty much no matter how you do grammar and spelling, there will be people that will argue with you about it. And so my big example is all right as one word or two words. Um, if I put it as two words, most of my beta readers will flag it um, and say, no, this is all right. It's one word. It's become so used that way. And a whole bunch of the grammar conventions now have become, in my opinion, much more artful at capturing how people actually speak. Mm, yeah. um, and so that's something that we're seeing online, and it's something that you can start to write. And then certain people take great umbrage at that. So one of the things... I, I don't say all right at all. None of my characters. <laughs> they just go, I... I, <laughs> um, but yeah, and so one of the things about editing is I'm much more likely to pay for editing is content editing than copy editing because I will get a lot of um, a lot of arguments no matter how I do the structure, the grammar and spelling. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I find that um, I have people that come back and uh, have uh, some suggestions about what I should change, and it's always in dialogue. And I try to tell them like dialogue is not going to be the same as prose. Like we're dealing with different things here people are speaking and i'm aware that it's not always grammatically correct but you know for some people that's just unacceptable um so another interesting question here i've got for us is uh 
you know, the KDP question, you know, without going down the rabbit hole, we can save that for another day of wide versus uh, KDP. Um, you all have uh, a good chunk of your books in uh, KDP. Is that correct, uh, uh, Jim? Yes. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them. Yeah. Okay. Same. Yep. Yeah. I've been doing that for expediency's sake and I'm in the process of going wide, which will take me through early March. So mm, good luck with that. I, I Thank you. <laughs> and only think about the amount of uh, work that's going to have to go on to make that happen. So I'll also be hiring a VA in highly related news. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> rip to your VA um, <laughs> with all that back matter stuff. Mm. Okay. So let's see. Um, most of them say that their most affecting, most effective marketing channels are promo sites and, and bookbub deals. Uh, that seems pretty reasonable. Um, the last question I want to ask about this is the average hours spent on marketing per week. And so I, I find this to be kind of interesting. You know, the stage one author is about six hours. Stage two is about 10 hours. Stage three is about 10 hours. Stage four is 12 and three quarters and stage five is 13. You guys think that those numbers uh, kind of hold true, Pippa? I heard you groan. What's your marketing situation like? I haven't. Uh, the past year has been zero marketing. And so the groan was, oh, my God, I need to start marketing again. Mm. I wonder if I can get the VA to do that as well. Mm. Um, because I have never been good with Facebook ads. I've gotten a few book bubs and that's propelled me delightfully but um but in terms of making ads that you're tweaking and running a b testing on i have yet to get that down and so i need to spend zero of my time and some of my money on it for something competent (laughs) (laughs) i understand i understand what about uh what about you nick man so this is a tricky one um you know pippa answered it as far as advertising goes which in my mind is is a a piece of marketing and I think the, th- the thing to keep in mind, you know, if you're a, a new author listening to this, the reason I think this scale goes up is not just, um, uh, it, it doesn't just mean that if you are making over $10,000 a month, you know that marketing is more important than the person who only makes 250 bucks a month or less. Um, it's that the more that you write and the more that that becomes your lifestyle, your, your day-to-day, you know, livelihood, um, the more you realize that things you're already doing are actually marketing and you start to do them in a different way. And I guess what I'm saying is, you know, when I, when I was at the $0 mark, when I first wrote the book called the golden crystal, um, I, there was one task and it was called write the book, you know, and it was, that was it. It was, um, I would email some friends and say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this book. It's, it's fun. Um, I'll send you a link when it's done, but that was not marketing back then. But now if I tell somebody that I'm writing a Jake Parker book, that's marketing. I don't, that's probably a bad example, but it's that everything that we do now is in a sense, in my mind, marketing. You know, if you're driving down the road and you take a video of yourself um, talking while you're watching, you know, the road, of course, like a safe traveler, um, you can, you can take a video and just say, Hey, you know, here's where I live and here's kind of what, what, uh, what my writing environment looks like day to day or whatever you do. And then you release it on your Facebook page. Most people wouldn't consider that marketing, but that is, it's building a brand, right? It's part of the marketing. And so I think that's really what this tells me is that those of us who have figured out how to make some money at this um, are, are spending more and more of our time doing some purposeful things that most people before that wouldn't consider marketing activities. Yes, absolutely. Advertising is part of it. And yes, absolutely. We tend to spend more 
money and time on advertising, the more successful we get. But really what this tells me is that the larger picture is, is changing. Um, the more, the more successful you are as an author, that the things that normally wouldn't feel like marketing now become marketing. That's a much better answer than mine. I would oh, just like you. to. <laughs> now, now, both of the answers were fine. <laughs> Your answer was just fine. Uh, Jim, what do you think about the advertising, marketing, the whole gamut of it? How, how often do you, are you doing that each week? How much of your time is spent on that? Um, I don't know if I could give you a number. That's cyclical too. Because um, like I said, when I'm working on first draft of a project, I'm not doing a whole lot of marketing for other stuff unless it's something that has to be done, like double checking a, an email to my list before it goes out. You know, That's something that always has to get, get done no matter what else I'm doing. Um, I'm looking at this difference between the level two and level three and spending the same amount of hours marketing. And I bet the difference between there is those level two people are spending a quarter of their time on Pinterest, a quarter of it on Instagram, a quarter of it on Facebook, a quarter of it on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Whereas the level three people, they're just spending that time on one social network where they know their readers are, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, once you, once you've been around for a while and you have some books and you're starting to make some money, you have a lot less trial and error to know what works with your readers. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. That's good stuff. I think that's a good, a good uh, kind of graph for people to kind of see what everybody else is doing and maybe take some ideas for what they're doing and how they're spending their time and their money. And so our next story here uh, is coming to us from uh, Joanna Penn. Uh, If you're somehow listening to this and you don't listen to Joanna Penn, uh, you should fix yourself immediately because uh, she is a gem in the author world. And so she had kind of released, uh, she's pretty transparent and she had released some of her goals for the year. And so I kind of want to steal her idea and uh, I want to go around to you guys and kind of see what kind of goals you have this year uh, for your, for your author career and maybe even into some stretch goals uh, for the next couple of years. Uh, So as we grow uh, as a podcast together, we can kind of keep an eye on each other and uh, see if we're drifting towards the things that we're aiming at. So uh, who wants to go first? Uh, Jim's unmuted. Let's go with Jim. Jim, what are, you, what are your goals this year, brother? My main goal is to make up for the stuff I didn't get done last year because of uh, the apocalypse. Amen. Really? I mean, I have, I'm, I'm behind on a lot of stuff. Um, I lost some ground in some areas. You know, there were some things like some marketing channels I didn't pay as much attention to, you know, cause we uh, thought maybe the world would end. Um, and so I need to get back on track with a lot of 2021 is going to be course correcting largely for me. Okay. I dig it. Uh, what about you, uh, Nick? What do you think? What you, I know, and I know you got a lot of irons in the fire all the time. So uh, somebody got to make those blanket ladders. Yeah, man, blanket ladders won't make themselves, man. This might be a big question to ask you, uh, but what what are you kind of planning um, this year? I have a, um, a a note here in Apple Notes. It's called "What the F." Dot dot dot, and then the next line says, "Do I want to do in 2021?" And so I have just dumped. I've brain dumped, but I haven't organized yet. Right, so. Mm-hmm. I don't have the prioritized list, but there there's a lot of shit on here and it's not going to all happen. And so right now, my main goal in 2021 is to figure out what the F I'm going to do and in what order. Um, I've got some things already in the works. Um, Jimbo and I are working on a a book series and uh, that's a brand new one that's going to drop that I'm excited about. Um, I've got that same thing going on with a couple other authors that have 
kind of, we've been talking about it for a year and, and put some work down, but it's time to put those words in and get it done. Um, like Jim said, there's a lot of catch up to do. I did, I, I spent a lot of 2020 working on the Jake Parker series, which is a fantastic series in my opinion. Um, it's not selling as well as some of the stuff that, that, uh, that I have already. And so, um, I'm actually today wrapping up the book three and then I'm going to start turning, turning inward a little bit and, and looking at, um, what's next for the Harvey Bennett and the Mason Dixon series of mine. Um, and the writing front, that's pretty much it. I mean, those are, those are the big ones. Uh, it's lots some co-written series and then some personal, uh, and, or single author series. But, uh, like you said, yeah, I mean, I do have a lot of irons in the fire. Um, most of people listening don't know this, but I, I do a lot of music stuff as well. Um, so I'm, I'm actually launching a YouTube channel on live church mixing church sound, something that's been kind of been a passion of mine for a long time. Um, that's, a, that's my like nighttime work basically <laughs> doing videos. Um, and then actually podcasting is a big goal of mine this year. Um, I have not been in the podcasting game for a few years now and I, I want to hit it hard, uh, with obviously this podcast and I've got a lot of my, um, audio book right now. I'm working on one audio book and doing underscoring for it. I'm going to release that as a serialized podcast to see how that does. Um, and I've got some other secret podcast ideas going on that are, are all, we're just recording and recording and we'll, we'll drop them all at once and own the world in podcasting. So we'll see how that all goes. Wonderful. And of course, blanket ladders, a lot of blanket ladders. Wonderful. Yeah. If anyone uh, hasn't had a chance to listen to the first couple episodes of Nick's uh, podcast where he's putting his own scored uh, track to his audiobook, you should go check it out. Maybe we can put a link in the show notes because uh, it's actually pretty cool. And I might end up uh, talking to him about something similar for my first book, but he does not know that yet. So okay. nobody tell him. Uh, Pippa, hear my ears. Pippa, what do you think? Uh, what do you, what are your goals? I know you said that you had kind of taken a little bit of, of time off and you were getting back into the game now. So what does 21 look like for you? Yeah. Uh, so revitalizing my backlist, making sure all of my covers are where they need to be. All of my metadata and book descriptions and advertising is where it needs to be is a big one. Uh, closing out two of the current arcs of two of my series um, sorry, there's some noise in the background. Um, <laughs> what do I? Well, everyone working at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm looking at starting uh, a production company actually uh, for some visual novels, some game IPs. And so getting that off the ground is a big one. And mm. that'll tie in in various ways with the books. Mm. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Very interesting. I'm super interested to hear uh, <laughs> more about that as we go along. And uh, for myself, it's pretty simple. I want to put out five books this year. And I want to figure out how to make Facebook ads work. And if I can manage both of those things, uh, I will be happy with my 2021 Um Okay, let's see. Where are we at right now? We're about 35 minutes. I think that's good on stories uh, for our week. So we are going to uh, go ahead and and wrap up. Uh, If there's nothing else from anyone uh, on the panel, it doesn't look like we have anything. Okay. Thanks for listening to Author News Weekly. Uh, If you have any 
tips for us, any questions, any articles that you'd like for us to talk about. We're pretty open to discussing most things. So go ahead and shoot us an email. The email is anwtips at gmail.com. That's A-N-W-T-I-P-S. So it's uh, alpha November whiskey tips at gmail.com. Go ahead and email us and we'll be glad to talk about whatever it is that you are looking for some clarity about. So uh, for everyone at A&W, uh, I'm Ari McGee saying thanks for listening. And this meeting is over. Bye, everybody. <laughs>